You're listening to The Good GP, the podcast for busy GPs. This episode of The Good GP was recorded on Sunday, 15th of March, 2020. As information about the COVID-19 pandemic changes daily, please note that some of the advice contained in this episode may no longer be current by the time you listen to it. Welcome to The Good GP, and this is the second of our special coronavirus episodes that we're going to be releasing across our platform and the Just a GP platform. Today, it's my privilege to interview our co-presenter, Christina Delange, who's chair of the National Faculty for GPs in Training. Welcome, Christina. Thanks so much, Sean. Thank you for having me. And I'd just like to mention there's been a lot of queries about exams. That's an extremely important topic. Uh, We will just be focusing on the effects of coronavirus on GP training in this episode, and we'll be releasing a podcast on the effect of coronavirus on exams at a later date as things become clearer. So, Christina, uh, this is an extremely stressful time for GP registrars and other GPs in training. How are you finding it? Thanks, Sean. And I think I really want to take the opportunity actually to thank all of our GPs in training out there, you know, AGPT registrars, PEP participants, RVTS, all of those that are actually working on the front line at this time, um, providing care for patients um, who might be affected or who might be worried about being affected by this. Uh, And also to thank, I've heard lots of stories about various GPs in training that have really gotten involved at a practice management level in terms of coming up with, you know, workflows and decision tools and, you know, triaging and helping to set the practice up. And I think we have to acknowledge that a lot of our doctors who are working towards FRACGP actually bring with them a lot of skills from previous roles as well. You know, they might have worked in emergency departments before or even had previous roles in terms of public health or mental health or or even in emergency services like you know being a paramedic before they came into general practice or nursing so I think we have to acknowledge that actually a lot of our doctors in training are bringing a a really diverse skill set which can actually add a lot to the practice and I really appreciate those that are working so hard in terms of helping with the current crisis that is that is facing Australia's healthcare system and, and our community in general. And I guess I just to also acknowledge generally that, like you said, this is a very uncertain time. And I know speaking to a lot of GPs in training, they are worried about what happens if I catch coronavirus? What happens if I take that home and my family are affected? What does it mean for me in terms of if I can't work and I, I'm not getting paid? And I know it obviously sparks a lot of uncertainty and and then the potential for distress and worry about that. So I really want to acknowledge that there are a lot of GPs in training out there that are doing it tough at the moment and working under difficult circumstances and difficult situations and just really thank them for their hard work and everything that they are doing. Yeah, look, absolutely. There's a huge amount of GPs doing a massive amount of work at the moment. Everyone's scrambling. And that includes GPs in training. And like you say, you know, GPs in training come from an even more diverse background than the average GP. So, uh, and this is, you know, I, speaking from working at, at the federal and state level, it has just been amazing the way people have picked 
in together. Yeah. So if we look at a couple of specific issues, leave entitlements, um, what's your understanding of how COVID-19 is going to affect leave entitlements for GPs and training? Yeah, so this is a great question. I think it's on the top of a lot of people's minds at the moment, not even just GPs, but uh, even people t- speaking to people in different industries and different sectors. I would really encourage GP registrars and other, you know, other doctors working um, under other of the RACGP training pathways to look at the Fair Work website. If you go to fairwork.gov.au, they do have a specific website dedicated to coronavirus and Australian workplace laws. And if you Google that, it'll come up as you know your first hit I'd encourage people to get on there and familiarize themselves and to keep checking it because there is ongoing updating of it of advice on there I guess when it comes to leave there are probably a few categories that we do have to consider one is the uh the I'm going to talk about AGPT registrars firstly because they are covered under the NTCER so that's the national terms and conditions for the employment of registrars which you can find on the GPRA website um, so there's probably a couple of sort of broad classifications. There's there's registrars who um, need to sort of isolate because they've actually got symptoms or signs consistent with COVID-19 or they have been actually diagnosed with COVID-19. Um, then there's registrars who may need to quarantine because of um, exposure uh, or, or, or even travel. Um, and then there's people who may be at risk due to an underlying medical condition, for example, um, an, an immunosuppressed condition where they're worried about continuing work, um, at-risk work during, uh, during this outbreak. So just to start off with that first group of people, really, um, if, if you are, obviously, if you have symptoms or signs, if you've been diagnosed with COVID-19, you are actually unwell, then you are eligible for uh, personal or carer's leave, uh, which under the NTCER, you uh, are eligible to 10 days per year. Now, this, as per the NTCER, this does accumulate, um, but it does specifically stipulate that registrars are eligible for an advance of 38 hours leave for each six-month term at the commencement of the term. I would also be strongly encouraging registrars who are affected to and, and who are doing a 12-month term with their practice um, to, to talk to the, their practice owners, um, practice management about being eligible to have that full 10 days right from the start because ultimately the minimum that people are having to isolate at this point is the two-week mark in general, uh, which means that they, they 10 business days, they would really need to be able to use the full 10 days of sick leave. Uh, and whilst the NTCR stipulates that it is five days in advance per six-month period, I think a lot of practices would be lenient under the current situation. Um, but, you know, that is something that is technically outside the NTCR and would need to be, uh, you know, negotiated with the practice. I will acknowledge in there the challenge for GPs in training as the fact that they don't have access to leave portability. And this is something that's come up time and time again, even before this COVID-19 issue. You know, the fact that we don't aren't able to accumulate sick leave and other entitlements due to the fact, due to the purely the, the nature of our training and the fact that we're constantly changing workplaces. And I, I acknowledge that that does put us at, you know, arguably a disadvantaged position when it comes to leave. Um, 
you know, but at the, currently as it stands, um, we it, that's what people are entitled to in terms of the NTCER. If registrars are needing to take leave outside of this, so if they run out of sick leave, um, then it will fall under Category 1 leave. And I know that means that it's not paid and that's very frustrating. And I know that also means that it interrupts training time. Uh, and again, I acknowledge that that is very frustrating for the registrars involved. But I guess just to reassure people that it wouldn't impact on their training time caps. And that is of specific concern to some registrars who may be approaching uh, you know, the end of their training time caps and might be worried about the impact that having to have successive leave for this reason might have on their overall training time, running out of training time or exam eligibility. So I guess from that perspective, definitely um, because it is sick leave, they will be able to access category one leave. The second group I mentioned was those that need to quarantine. So they don't technically they're not technically sick, but they um, need to quarantine due to um, exposure risk. Um, and again, I would encourage people to have a look at the Fair Work website. Uh, under Fair Work, this doesn't fall under sick leave, but certainly that can be negotiated with the practice. Um, and I would encourage registrars who fall under that circumstance to do that. And I would really implore practices to be considerate of registrars in this time um, and the fact that this is a, is a difficult and stressful time um, and that having access to that sick leave in most cases would be appropriate. And again, same thing applies. If you're running out of sick leave, then there is that access to category one leave. The third group I wanted to mention specifically was those people at risk, at increased risk of COVID-19 due to an underlying medical condition. And that you know, might be due, as I said, due to immunosuppression for one, one reason or another, or even, a, you know, a direct family member who may be immunosuppressed, so a child in the family. In this situation, we would definitely say as a first port of call is to talk to the practice about safe work environment and whether there is an ability to enable you to stay at the practice but be able to work safely. So triaging patients out of your care so that, for example, anyone with respiratory symptoms or travel history is not uh, put into your calendar. And it may be that just that initial discussion with the practice, we have many registrars that fall into this category even outside of this outbreak. Pregnant women, for example, that might not want to see undifferentiated childhood raptors, etc. So it, that isn't something new. And certainly we would really encourage you to be able to talk to the practice and see if a reasonable outcome can be can be reached. And if that's the case, then nothing further needs to be done. But certainly if there was, if you were not able to be satisfied that you could have a safe working environment, and certainly if there was, if there is a direct medical advice by the uh, registrar's uh, doc, treating doctor, uh, their own GP or their own non-GP specialist to, to not work, um, then that would be considered by the RTO. Um, and again, to be able to take uh, that as category one leave. I did specifically want to mention, because I have talked about registrars, they fall under the NTCR, but what about those uh, doctors training towards FRA CGP not considered a registrar, as in, you know, maybe a pet participant? 
really that is going to be up to the individual contract that they have signed. So it's hard to give specific advice because it is going to be very dependent on the contract they've signed with their practice. And again, I would encourage them to be really looking back at their um, contract. What, How are they actually employed? Are they employed as an employee? Um, and what rights do they have in terms of uh, their leave entitlements? And again, referring back to the Fair Work website or contacting GPRA as well if they've got ongoing questions about that. Great. One of the things you mentioned was what do registrars do when they're at home and they're sort of not unwell or not significantly unwell and they're self-isolated and perhaps doing telehealth, for example. Um, How's that going to affect training time, pay, all that sort of thing? Absolutely. So if a a registrar or, um, you know, any GP in training is able to work from home for their training practice doing telehealth consultations, then that will be approved as a training activity. We RACGP has come out and very clearly stated that, you know, we see that as an appropriate clinical activity, especially in the current climate, um, and that any time spent doing telehealth consultations will count towards training time. So if a um, registrar or um, any GP in training is needing to self-isolate or or quarantine and is well enough to continue consulting off-site through via telephone or video conference services, then they are able to do that. And that would then mean that they would still be getting paid because they would still be able to um, bill uh, or charge patients um, and they would, uh, and they wouldn't have to be taking any leave actually. So that is is one way that trainees may be able to continue work and not have um, payments or training time impacted. I would say, I just want to be clear that the trainee must agree to providing this service. And I think that's just a really important point to make because there might be some trainees that don't feel comfortable being you know, off-site and providing those consultations, for example, from their own home um, and, you know, without a supervisor on-site. And so certainly, you know, we would expect that all trainees need to feel comfortable and they need to feel well-supported with any model that's being utilised. So uh, absolutely, if the registrar um, or trainee and the practice can come to an agreement about that, then we would be supportive of that. Um, I will mention about supervision because that probably is an important aspect. Um, And I'd just say that, you know, if GP trainees are participating in teleconsultations, then we would expect that there was equivalent supervision um, to what we would normally expect. And we've basically said that the equivalent to on-site availability would be the availability of a supervisor to dial into a trainee's consultation. And I think whether you're doing this via phone or whether you're doing it via video conference, um, most platforms will would enable that quite easily to be able to dial an extra person in where needed. Mm. So basically that's the only requirement from a supervision perspective um, and certainly that would be open to any uh, trainee that feels comfortable undertaking that type of um, that type of consultation. I did want to mention as well as just the telehealth, you know, you you sort of mentioned about working on category um, or working whilst on leave, I guess. And specifically, I guess I wanted to talk about that group of people that may need to take leave due to an underlying medical condition, especially 
because this could be a bit of an unknown time frame. It might be a month, it might be a few months, it could be longer. We're not quite sure at the moment. And that if, you know, if someone's got to take leave for that time, we completely acknowledge that that's a significant impact on their income um, and isn't necessarily sustainable for everyone. So there have been a lot of questions circulating around the ability to work in another role whilst on Category 1 leave. And absolutely, we would support that as long as the work is consistent with the reason the person has taken that leave. So if you've taken leave because you're immunosuppressed, you don't want to be in the general practice, but then you say to your RTO that I'm going to go and work as a locum in emergency, that's not really with why you've taken leave um but absolutely if you decided that you were going to do some other lower risk um consultation um or some other lower risk role and that might even just be consulting for an indemnity you know it might be doing some policy work or it might be work you know doing um, informing some path health pathways for the local hospital it could be anything you know but absolutely we wouldn't have any problem with uh, registrars being able to participate in that type of work while they were on Category 1 leave. All right, look, this is definitely going to be a movement feast um, and we will be updating at regular intervals. And like I said, there will be an exam special COVID podcast uh, once more details are to hand. Christina, thanks very much for your time today. Yeah, thanks. I really appreciate the opportunity to chat.